Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. This is a follow-up to our discussion on electronics recycling. Our guest today is Biju Nair, the EVP and President of Assurance Global Connected Living Business. Assurant is an insurance company that is actively taking sustainability into their own hands. They have refurbishing centers for mobile phones where they process traded-in cell phones and other electronic devices, leading to a huge amount of waste being diverted from landfills. So let's get started. Today we have Biju Nair from Assurant. Awesome, great. Well, hello everybody. Very nice to meet uh, everyone on this uh, on this discussion. Uh, my name is Biju Nair. Uh, I am the EVP and President of Global Connected Living and Assurant International here at Assurant. Um, I've been with the company a little over two and a half years. Uh, I came in through the acquisition of a company called Hyla. So prior to this, I was the president and CEO of Hyla Mobile. And starting with Hyla, Hyla was an industry leader in trade-in and upgrade solutions, which is going to be the topic of today's discussion. Before we get too far, could you tell us about your background a little bit? In general, my background, I am a electronics and computer uh, engineer by training. And I also have an advanced degree in computer science. So engineer by training, uh, businessman by necessity. Um, And I've been fortunate enough to be um, a part of various different startups. Most of these have been around in telecommunications and software. Uh, So uh, telecom is is my domain. It has been a great ride uh, working with a lot of people. And I'm continuing the journey here at Assurant now, uh, working in my capacity at Global Connected Living. So can you tell us more about how you went from engineering to business and startup and um, telecom? On my background, I mean, I I grew up in India. I studied in Europe for my undergrad and my master's degree. Um, And I studied studied in Poland. So I'm one of the few, uh, you know, Indian people that you will meet who can actually speak Polish. Uh, And then I came to the United States on on an advanced graduate program to Illinois Tech, um, and that's where I got my, my computer science degree. After I graduated, I was looking for a job and I came upon this job in a telecommunications test and measurement company. There are test and measurement equipment that are mounted into minivans or SUVs that place automatic phone calls uh, as this van is kind of driving around and it can, um, it can gather data. But the challenge was how do you load up these massive quantities of data uh, so I I joined as the first software engineer engineer that they had hired to do this work. Then fast forward, I don't know, five years or so. Uh, and so I was at Agilent running their global software business for a couple of years uh, and then moved on to do, you know, a few additional startups uh, leading up to joining Hyla in 2014 or so as their chief technology officer. And the board uh, asked me to take on as the CEO of the company. Uh, and um, and sort of company Hyla was more focused on buying and selling devices. So you know we would run the trade-in program for a Verizon or an AT&T. Fast forward to 2020, Assurant obviously much larger company than than Hyla. 
and they expressed an interest in acquiring the company. So uh, that's how Hyla ended up within within Assurant. Uh, I ended up in this my current role. So what does Assurant do, and how did it get started before it acquired Hyla? Yeah, so Assurant is a very old company. It's about 120 some years old. Originally started out in the consumer credit business, and through many years of acquisitions and morphing and changing, today's Assurant has three main business units. The first one is a, a housing business, global housing business. So that's pure insurance type of a business. The second one is automotive insurance. Uh, the best way to describe that is think about extended warranty on vehicles. Uh, the, the third business and the largest business unit within Assurant is Global Connected Living. And uh, you can think about our business as three different elements to it. There is mobile, there is home solutions, and financial services business. That's quite a wide variety. Um, let's start with the mobile business. Think about today's smartphone. If you go out to buy an Apple or a Samsung device, it's going to cost about you know, $1,000, the lowest end of the, the good smartphone. Retailers and carriers are finding that consumers' desire to upgrade these phones uh, are slowing down, uh, and they don't, you know, they don't want to go plunk down another thousand dollars or two hundred dollars to do that. Uh, there is a solution to it, which is incentivizing consumers to uh, to upgrade, uh, and that happens through a trade-in program. Just like with cars, when you're buying a new car. Uh, you often want the dealer to enable a trade-in for your old device because you know you're buying a new car because you don't need your old car unless you're going to be giving your old car to a sibling or a friend or a child. Then it's a different situation, and phones work exactly the same way. So just today, I, I upgraded my daughter's iPhone XS to an iPhone 14, and AT&T is currently offering a $350 trade-in value for your old phone. So it automatically reduced the price of her phone um, uh, from $46.95 a month to $31.30 a month, right? That's pretty substantial reduction. So consumers are incentivized to do that. And as iPhone 14, iPhone 15 starts to get launched or the next Samsung um, device launch starts to happen, these promotions will get more aggressive. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like wouldn't the value of your phone go down as it gets older? What is incentivizing a company to give in these trade-in rebates? Uh, well, the reason for that is the carriers are interested in keeping you as a customer. What happens is they regain that subsidy when this phone gets sold in the market for them. They market for your three- or four-year-old phone somewhere else in other parts of the world or in a different strata of the economy. And then typically there is a customer acquisition cost because they didn't have to advertise to you. They didn't have to woo you in as a customer. You came in because of the trading program. So they, between those two things, they are they're already made up for that $800 that they paid you. So that's the, that's the trading element of what we do. So now these devices are pretty expensive, right? You're spending $1,200 and it is the most essential commodity that you hold in your hands. It has become the most essential device that you carry around. So people want to make sure that this device is being maintained and protected. That's where the device protection programs come into play. Talk about it as insurance program, device protection program. If you dropped your phone, cracked your screen, or broke something else, file a claim. 
And as soon as the claim gets approved, you have a choice. You can walk into one of the 600 locations that we own called cell phone repair and get your phone repaired over there. Uh, and then, uh, or if you want a like for like phone sent to you, that gets sent back to you. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, so do you want to go right into how recycling started as part of this process and maybe explain how circular economy fits in as well? Okay, great. So if you, if you look at it at the highest level, um, when we are encouraging somebody to trade in their old phone, what we are eliminating is we are avoiding that consumer keeping that phone in their drawer. What was happening is a lot of consumers and you know, present company included, you know, we got into the habit of throwing this old phone into a drawer because someday we may need it. And then what ends up happening ultimately is you don't need the phone, but you need that space in the drawer. And in a pinch, somebody might pick up these phones and improperly recycle them. And I cannot emphasize this more. Worst case scenario, an ignorant consumer just throws it in the trash can or they throw it in their recycling bin, which typical recycling do not recycle electronic products. But uh, you'd be amazed how many people don't realize that. They just throw it in there. It's recycling anyways. Uh, or they go to one of these poorly managed electronic recycling facilities and drop it off there. So what happens to the phone after you collect them? So. They go to one of our, in US, they go to one of our three facilities. Uh, one is in Nashville, one is in Louisville, Texas, and the third one is in York. Uh, we do three things. We uh, receive the devices uh, and we scan them into our system. We want to make sure that um, Andy went in there and traded in an iPhone 10. And we did receive an iPhone 10 on that transaction and we didn't receive a potato, right? Because the value of those two things would be slightly different. Then we have a set of automated tools that do testing, grading, and data wiping of the phone. Testing to see if all the components of the phone are working. The test determines the grade of the phone. And the test also includes a cosmetic grading of the phone uh, to determine you know, how many scratches it has. Does it have a cracked screen? Is, you know, is something else broken with it? Uh, all of these things play into the factor of uh, what is the grade of the phone. For simplicity, think about it as you know, A plus, A, B, C, repair, and then recycle grade. So that determines the grade. The grade determines the value of the phone. A plus has the highest value beyond economic repair has the lowest value. Um, and then data clearing is very, very important. We do not assume that you as a consumer has wiped all your data off of the phones, right? We give it a thorough check, wipe all the data, get rid of all your SIM cards and any storage units that are inside of that device. Uh, they all get you know, um, uh, shredded and recycled. Then the device is ready for sale. What about a phone with a good grade? What happens to that? Some of these devices get sold into you know, high value channels like insurance channels. And then a good majority of these phones get shipped into other buyers within the United States, within Europe. Uh, a lot goes to Asia, to Hong Kong and Dubai and other places where they get further distributed out into, into the world where consumers who ordinarily cannot afford 
a, a smartphone now have access to a high-end smartphone like a like a Pixel or an Apple or a Samsung device. So it plays a big societal role in connecting the unconnected consumer out there. Uh, and then the environment is happy because one less phone needs to be manufactured. Uh, this phone gets a second life or potentially a third life after that. And so it's a win-win-win across the board. Uh, so that's how the overall uh, circular economy and the, the, um, the recycling and the repurposing of it works. How do they refurbish um, the phones? What, you know, what is that process in terms of replacing parts, in terms of um, sourcing new materials or reusing? Typically, what we end up doing is if we need to repurpose the device for a insurance purpose, we give it a much more detailed test. And then we do a little bit of a buffing and polishing of the device so that cosmetically it looks good. If it has got some scratches or, or scuffs, they get polished out. If, for example, uh, if a component is not working, say, you know, one of the cameras is broken, then we have, you know, parts that we have either procured from the OEM or we have parts that we have harvested through devices that we were, that we deemed as not economically viable for repairing. We harvest those parts and we we replace those parts and uh, get devices to work. If it's a really broken device, we don't spend a lot of time trying to repair it because the um, uh, the labor rates in the U- U.S. don't don't enable us to do this in a you know fiscally responsible manner. So there are a lot of wholesale buyers who buy these broken devices from us. They take it to lower cost jurisdictions in Asia, Mexico, other parts of the world they, where they've got repair facilities. And then they either use aftermarket parts or OEM parts uh, to replace a screen that is broken or another component that is broken. When you're getting these phones, do you get them directly from retailers or from uh, like AT&T? or do they kind of collect devices, send them somewhere else, and then they come to you? Yeah, no, great question. So we are a B2B company. So we work with the AT&T's, Verizon's, T-Mobile's of the world, or, or retailers like the ones that I mentioned earlier. So what happens is they are collecting it from the consumer, right? And it's an omni-channel business. So if you walk into an AT&T store, uh, you can trade in your phone right there. Or you can commit to making a trade-in and you get a trade-in kit and you can walk back to your home, do all your content transfer, make sure that everything is cleared off of your old phone, and then you put it into that trade kit and you ship it. That goes to one of our facilities. Um, Or if you're like me and lazy and you do this transaction online, uh, we, on behalf of AT&T, will send you a trade-in kit uh, and instructions, and then we'll ask you to ship that device within X number of days to to get it back to us. It's nice to know that consumers also have all these options of sending it back to the customers that you guys work with and to, to you guys. I think you were starting to talk about sustainability and circular economy, so I wanted to or ask you to explain that a little bit more. Yeah. So I explained how the how the devices play into the into the circular economy piece, right? Since we started uh, collecting devices since 2009, we've collected about 149 million devices uh, in this process. 
put over $16 billion into the pocket of consumers so that they don't throw away their devices and they get a trade-in value for those devices. Um, brought improved connectivity to tens of millions of poorly connected or unconnected people because some, somebody couldn't afford a 3G device or a 4G device. They were still, still on you know, two and a half G devices. Uh, they were able to now you know, procure a higher end device thereby changing you know, their quality of life. Um, over 30,000 metric tons of e-waste was diverted away from landfills and over 8.2 million metric tons of CO2 emissions were avoided. So it's a, it's a big deal. One thing that I really wanted to ask is you said something about diverting waste from landfills. What happens to the last step of phones that are not recoverable, or not reusable? Um, how are we keeping that out of landfills? Yeah, so what we end up doing is uh, we'll try to harvest for parts if we can. Um, and if the phone can be powered on and certified to be data cleared, then we will harvest it for parts. If the phone just refuses to power on and cannot be repaired to, to get it to be powered on in a reasonable amount of time, and time is critical here because you know at, at whatever, $30 an hour for a repair technician in the US, if they spend too much time trying to get it repaired, then there is really no economic profitability for it. So we, we give them an allocated time. I think it's like 40 minutes or so. Within 40 minutes, if they are not able to get it to be repaired to power back up, we deem it as beyond economic repair. Then what we have to do is we have to harvest like all the non-electric parts. Like we can take out the plastics, the keyboards, the cameras, and things like that. And we can repurpose that by either giving it to people who are building that, to using that to build other, other components, et cetera. What about uh, motherboards and other parts that have personal data on it? That we have to shred. So we've got a industrial type shredder that shreds these, these motherboards and it converts it into, into dust that is then sold to recyclers who are professional recyclers who can actually pick up those that dust and then extract gold and silver and copper and separate the plastic from it and, and do all kinds of other recycling activities associated with that. Same thing with batteries. Um, there are recyclers who, who procure batteries from us and then they perform a task called uh, um, urban mining. So um, if it's a lithium ion battery, what they do is they extract uh, cobalt, lithium, aluminum and other components out of it repurpose that to build new batteries. Everything is a finite resource, right? So if even if to a small extent we can repurpose these devices or these batteries, et cetera, then they can be reused. And as you know, with electric vehicles and increasingly more electronic devices, the demand for lithium-ion batteries have increased substantially. This is our way of helping that ecosystem by by repurposing repurposing these devices. I also thought it was interesting uh, hearing about like the motherboard dust and all of these different elements that you can extract. What are some of the more challenging electronic devices to recycle? Especially smaller devices, they tend to leak toxic materials into earth a lot faster than the larger devices because smaller devices are not as well protected as some of the larger devices. 
So people have to be extremely careful about just carelessly throwing these devices in a trash or uh, 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 not recycling them properly. So we also, by making these training programs available, we encourage users to monetize these assets rather than leave them in their drawers and then ultimately, uh, ultimately pollute the earth with them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that the smaller devices would be, you know, more toxic for for leaching in my mind. I don't know why I thought maybe some of the bigger devices. Yeah, Nasrin, yeah, you're right. On a larger scale basis, like if you take a small battery out of a smartphone and you take a big battery out of a laptop and bury them under the earth, obviously over a period of time, that larger battery will release more toxins into the earth. But if you leave a laptop lying around and a smartphone lying around, what ends up happening is the laptop is a much well-protected uh, device, whereas a, a smartphone is not because a laptop, when you close it, the screen doesn't break, right? It's, it's, it's pretty safe, but a laptop and it's like, a smartphone when it's lying open, all it takes is something heavy drops on it, the screen breaks, and that pierces that security barrier and then the battery is exposed and it starts to leach much faster. Thank you for clarifying. Can you speak more to automation and how that's uh, important in all of that process? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let me start at the very basic element of automation and then we can get into you know, more of the industrial automation that we do. So one of the things that I mentioned was um, you know, hey, these stores, AT&T stores have these uh, boxes that we ship to them or consumer gets a shipping kit from us that they are asking, we are asking them to, uh, you know, send their phones back. Uh, we are very conscious of how we do that. So, for example, if you ordered a new phone and you said you're going to be trading in your old phone, we will send you just one box. We'll say, hey. Congratulations, here's your new phone. Here's all your instructions to set that up. Right underneath that are instructions on how to send the old phone back. Put this in the sleeve to protect it. Throw it in the box. Take out the label or peel off the label that is on top of uh, the box. Underneath that is a, a return label that goes back to us. You can go drop it off at a FedEx location or a UPS location. They'll tape it up and send it to us. We're repurposing that same box that the, the consumer has, has brought forward. And when we get these phones back, they, they also have protective sleeves for these phones. Those protective sleeves are immediately taken out and recycled. We, we reuse them, repurpose them for shipping phones out to buyers and things like that. So that, you know, again, we are not wasting materials. We're not wasting trees. Uh, we are avoiding all these redundant use of things so that we can be as conscientious as possible. Same thing with the, with the stores. Interesting thing about these boxes are these are not standard boxes that we buy. We've got two very large box-making robots in our facility. And these robots make the boxes to the specification that we need. If somebody says, I'm more comfortable shipping 10 phones at a time, we can ask the robot to make a 10-phone box, 10 phone box. You will notice that when it makes a box, the amount of waste of cardboard is very, very little. So that's a, that's a big element of how we focus on sustainability around usage of boxes when we are shipping devices back and forth, either to a consumer or to a B2B, B2B facility. What would you like the general audience to know about um, your company, 
as far as assurance goes, I mean, we are the premium company who does it. We are we are the thought leader in this space. If you look at our, you know, sustainability, the the stats that I mentioned to you, we have been keeping track of it since since you know since this industry has started. So once we started doing this with phones, we said, well, people are buying more connected devices. We came up with the idea: how about protecting and supporting everything that the consumer owns in their home, every connected device or an appliance that they own in their home. And there also there's a trading element for that because if their appliance happens to be like too old and too expensive to repair, we can give them the offer of why don't you trade it in? We are encouraging our our carrier retailer clients to extend that practice to other things like AirPods and watches. We've got a very sophisticated mechanism to clean the AirPods. You know, these are health concerns, right? You're sticking it in your ear and you're going to be selling it to somebody else. So we have a, a very sophisticated technique that is approved by Apple to cleanse these devices before they go out into the marketplace. Are there any other new sustainability initiatives that Assurant is doing that you'd like to share? From a thought leadership standpoint, we have a product called Carbon IQ, which what we are doing is when a customer comes in and trades in a phone, based on the make and model of the phone, we can track exactly what is the carbon footprint associated with that device, right? So what we do is you brought a brand new phone and we say, okay, the brand new phone, you created a carbon footprint of 90 kilograms of CO2, but hey, you traded in a phone that offset 40 kilograms of CO2. So now your net footprint is 50 kilograms. But wait a minute, you bought a refurbished phone. So maybe your net CO2 footprint is only 10 kilograms of CO2. In Europe, people take this very, very seriously. So Carbon IQ keeps track of all of that. And when you walk out of the store, some of our clients will actually print out your sustainability certificate and hand it to you. So that's the advanced thought leadership that Assurant has in this space. So I'm very proud of what we do here and our team does here. The Carbon IQ thing sounds very interesting. That's not something that I had really thought about. You know, if somebody was to give me that when I went into a store or every time I purchased a new item, I'm sure I would pay more attention to it. And I think that is definitely something that should be brought to more of our consumers. Would you like to end our uh, interviews? If there's a sustainability practice that you do that you want to share with people, that's always of interest to our listeners. We live on a property where we where we live uh, off of well water. So uh, doing something like that actually makes you very conscientious about what you put in the ground. You know, what do you spray your your grass with? Um, you know, how are you treating the trees around around the areas and things like that? Since we're on well, we are also on on septic, which means we are very careful about what we throw down the drains. You know, if you have a painting project, uh, you have to have a painting recycling tin and take it to the local painting uh, painting recycling location and drop it off there. We don't allow anybody to pour it down the drain, et cetera, et cetera. And then of course, you know, I practice what I preach. I trade in, I do not buy a phone without trading in a phone. Knowing that you can have the option of trading in your electronics rather than just letting it sit there or putting in the trash or recycling it improperly. It's all very, very important. And we were really happy to hear more about that. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. It was really interesting um, and important to hear the work that Assurance is doing. And, you know, you have to create systems for people to be able to help be part of more sustainable action. Yeah. Nasreen and Manali, thank you very much for the opportunity and thank you for your interest in our company. Yeah, thanks a lot. We really appreciate your time.
This episode was edited and produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. Music is by Shang Young. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGTM Podcast, or you can email us at talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com.